So uh, today we are going to uh, continue. Uh, we are we are winding up the book of Acts after a very long time. Okay, and we are in uh, now. Uh, we're in uh, chapter twenty-five and twenty-six. Twenty-five is kind of like a narrative that gets us to twenty-six. So we'll we'll talk uh, a little bit about chapter twenty-five, but focus our attention mostly. Uh, on uh, chapter 26. Now, going back a couple of weeks, just to refresh our memory. Now, remember that Paul is under arrest uh, at this uh, point. He's not traveling anymore. He's not planting congregations. He's not, you know, uh, building up the believers and, you know, and, and all that. And uh, what we read is a series of speeches that, that he gives, okay? Uh, before the, the Jewish people at large, uh, the Sanhedrin, and then uh, the, the governor, uh, who was uh, Felix, right? Uh, and uh, at no point can they actually pinpoint where he has broken uh, the, the law, right? Uh, and they make accusations, but there's nothing that they can uh, really count to, you know, for him to be found uh, guilty. Now, Felix, uh, the governor, you know, he doesn't really know what to do, so he does what most politicians do. He waits till he is out of office, right, and sort of kicks the can to the next governor, right? And so the next governor is Festus, right? Okay, so uh, here in chapter 25, we have uh, Festus. You know, there's only two people named Festus in the whole world, right? Because I know what you're all thinking. Right? Right. That's the other one. All right. So uh, in chapter 25, Festus, therefore, having arrived in the province three days later, went up to Jerusalem from uh, uh, Caesarea. Now, this is interesting. What's going to happen here in this chapter, basically, uh, is Festus goes uh, to Jerusalem. And uh, the Jewish, uh, you know, uh, the Sanhedrin, presumably, or the Jewish leadership, says to him, you have Paul over there by the coast there in Caesarea. You know what would be a really good idea? Bring him to Jerusalem, okay? And we'll have like a trial here. Now, what they don't say and what no one says here is that were they assuming that then, you know, Felix, the governor, would, would go to Jerusalem and conduct a trial there? Or are they saying that they would? But we know the text tells us that their motivation for saying this is that they would ambush him and kill Paul on the way to Jerusalem, okay? And uh, so it was not, you know, motives of, uh, well, we want to, you know, through the due process of law, you know, figure this out. They're trying to kill him, all right? Uh, and then so Festus says, I, uh, uh, yes, Festus says, I have a better idea. You bring your, you come with your, you know, legal team to Caesarea, and we'll do it there, okay? Uh, and so uh, uh, they come, uh, and, uh, and it's kind of interesting. So it says uh, here in chapter 25, uh, in verse 6, And after he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to uh, Caesarea, this is, you know, Festus. He went back to Caesarea. And on the next day he took his seat, on the tribunal, and ordered Paul to be brought. And after he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem 
stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Kind of like what we read, you know, in the last chapter about Felix. Okay? Uh, while Paul said in his own defense, he says only a few words uh, here. I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. Basically, he's saying, I've been a good citizen. You know, I'm, uh, uh, I have not, uh, I have a clear conscience uh, and I uh, have not broken a law of the Jews against the temple or against Caesar. Now, I'll just pause there and say that is, um, you know, that is a, a very interesting because, you know, when you think about the letters of Paul uh, and when he's mentoring Timothy uh, in particular, uh, you know, he says things like honor the king, you know, pray for those who are in authority, right? Uh, and uh, his motivation of, of telling that to Timothy was don't let other things get in the way of of what you're here for and what the message is, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so for Paul, this works out quite well. Uh, you, you know, he did not rebel against Caesar. He uh, certainly could have, right? But he did not rebel against Caesar. Nor did Yeshua rebel against Caesar. Accused, yes, but uh, falsely accused, right? So um, uh, this was very important. So he's saying that, uh, you know, really there's neither the Sanhedrin nor Festus, you really can accuse me of, of anything. I'm just preaching, uh, you know, the, uh, the word of God, we'll say, which was not against anybody's law. <laughs> okay. Uh, but Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? Okay, now, so Paul says, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews as you also very well know. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of these things is true of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Okay. So first what he's doing is he's, may I suggest that Paul is a smart person and he knows that, and remember that he's already been told by the Lord, you're going to Rome. Remember that? Okay. So earlier, remember when he went to Jerusalem and everybody said, don't go to Jerusalem because you're going to get arrested or you could get killed. He knew that he was supposed to go to Jerusalem for these very purposes. But now he knows he's supposed to go to Rome. And so going to Jerusalem would not be wise. So he knows that. But he simply appeals to his own Roman citizenship. Uh, this is what is legal. This is due process of, of the law. In fact, he's saying, I don't want to circumvent anything. So here's the Roman tribunal, right? I should be tried here, right? But then he says, the, as I put in quotation marks, the magic words. I appeal to Caesar. When he says, I appeal to Caesar, that means now that to Festus, now he's stuck. Because if a Roman citizen says, I appeal to Caesar, and then... The governor says, no, you can't. That is like a, a disparaging word against Caesar. And so when Paul says, I appeal to Caesar, that was like his ticket 
to get to Rome. Okay? You know, it kind of reminds me of, not in the same way, but in just some twisted kind of uh, that when someone gets arrested, uh, you know, and, they, and uh, they say, I want a lawyer. That's it, right? That's it. Okay, don't, you can't say anything else. You can't ask me anything. I want a lawyer, right? Uh, and so he says, I appeal to Caesar. Now, much has been written about exactly, exactly what that meant. Uh, you know, and it's far beyond the scope of anything, you know, uh, for us here today. But it, but it meant that now, <laughs> you know, uh, Paul's not going to Jerusalem, okay? And uh, he's going to be tried before Romans, uh, before, uh, before uh, the governor, before, as we'll see, the, uh, the king of, the quote-unquote king of Judea, uh, and then he'll be on his way to, to Rome. And we're going to see that he has, his motive is not just due process, but he has another motive that's going to come out. Uh, that, that's going to uh, uh, come out. Okay. Uh, and so it says, Then when Festus had conferred with his council, he answered, You have appealed to Caesar. So to Caesar you shall go. Okay. Now, it just so happens. Now, uh, when several days had elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Okay. So Festus is the new governor. Okay, so Agrippa here. Is, there are many. There are many Agrippas, right? This is Agrippa too, and Bernice is his sister, not his wife. It's his sister. And uh, uh, by the way, they had another sibling, and that is remember the Jewish woman Drusilla is actually um, is actually a um, uh, the sister of Agrippa too and uh, Bernice. Now. If you should ever have the opportunity of studying this family, beginning with the Maccabees, it actually begins with the Maccabees. Let's just say it's kind of like the young and the restless on steroids. Okay? It is really a sordid story of all kinds of political marriages uh, and alliances and so on. And so, uh, you know, in a nutshell, I, one of the uh, sons of, uh, uh, of uh, Mattathias. Remember Mattathias from the Hanukkah? From Hanukkah? Five sons. Most famous one is Judah. Okay. Well, he had other sons. One of them, son, one of them was named Simon. Okay. So Simon has a son. And, uh, and he, his name is, it sounds like a very uh, Gentile name. Uh, uh, his name was Yohanan. But in English, he, he's actually just known as John uh, Hyrcanus, right? John Hyrcanus, right? These are all from the Hashemite dynasty. That has the really Hasmoneans is the is the name of all of the dynasty of all uh, Hashemians or Hasmoneans. Okay, all right. Now generations. I'm just going to say I was tempted to, but generations go by. Okay, and uh, there's much infighting. Right? Okay. So generations go by. Uh, and uh, now uh, Pompey has uh, conquered uh, Judea. Judea is now a Roman, a, a Roman province. Uh, and they appoint uh, one of these uh, uh, Hasmoneans to be the, the king. But there's much, much infighting. So there is a governor of Judea whose name is Herod. And he goes to Rome to appeal to Rome. Okay? In a surprise move, 
he's named king of the Jews. Okay? He comes back. He's now the king of the Jews. Now, he is uh, from the, a, a different uh, family, the Herodian, the Herodian family, right? However, to legitimize uh, his uh, rule uh, in uh, Judea, now he has a number of wives, right? Uh, and he has a number of children, okay? Uh, and from some of his wives come his sons, who end up being the governors of the, the, um, uh, of the, of the, of the three uh, areas after Herod dies. Herod dies in 4 BC, right? And then you have, uh, you know, you have other leaders. So, so uh, those other leaders are the, are the children of some of his wives. But he marries another person, Miriam, the uh, Hasmonean, okay? He has children with her, who now have this Jewish... Uh, identity uh, from the Hasmoneans, from the Maccabees, okay? Uh, and so this is where Agrippa I and Agrippa II come from, okay? Uh, and Bernice and Drusilla. And they are, uh, like most Roman leaders of this time, they are um, they're obviously loyal to Caesar. They're absolutely loyal to Caesar. But Agrippa I and Agrippa II in particular, because of their own uh, identity and family, have certain sympathies to the Jews. And Agrippa II, this one, this one who comes with his sister, Bernice, in particular knows all about Judaism and is actually known as a pious person and is spoken of very well in like the Mishnah. Right? And then later on, therefore, in the Talmud, in particular passages. I, uh, and understood that they were Romans, that they were related to the Romans, and they were going to support the Romans. And sure enough, Agrippa II, in 66, when the war breaks out, certainly is not a sympathizer anymore, right? But at this time, he is. Okay? And so now, Festus explains all of this. Uh, to Agrippa and uh, uh, Bernice. By the way, this is Bernice too. There's three of them. Okay, it's it, it's an amazing story, right? Okay, I uh, and I uh, and and so I uh, in chapter 25. The first part of it is what we talked about. You know about uh, uh, you, you know the uh, the Jewish authorities want him to come want Paul to come to Jerusalem to be tried, but no, you know they, a change of venue, right? But uh, no, they come to uh, Caesarea. Uh, Festus, uh, you know, doesn't quite know what to do with them. Uh, and so uh, now comes uh, uh, someone else to, uh, uh, to handle the situation, right? So he explains all of this to, uh, to Agrippa. Now, in explaining it, he says something interesting. Uh, if you go down to chapter 25, uh, in uh, verse uh, 18 and 19. Okay? It says, And when the accusers stood up, they began bringing, this is Festus speaking to uh, Agrippa, explaining about what's taken place. So he says, And when the accusers stood up, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes as I was expecting, but they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion, and about a certain dead man, Yeshua, whom Paul asserted to be alive. Okay, 
Now, this is very interesting. This is how Festus distills what has been said by the Jewish leadership. Notice that he doesn't say anything about the temple anymore. He doesn't say anything about, oh, he desecrated the temple, he brought Gentiles in. It does not even, he distills, I, he, in other words, what Festus is saying, this whole argument is not about some offense, you know, of Paul while he was in Jerusalem, he did the wrong thing, you know, and so on. It, it's about a religious disagreement. That's the whole thing. So what do we do? It's about, it's about a Jewish religious disagreement and some dead guy named Yeshua, whom Paul thinks is alive, which, which would be preposterous and scandalous to, to, to the Romans. Okay? So then in verse 20 it says, And being at a loss how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem uh, and stand trial on these matters. After all, it's a religious disagreement. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I sent him to Caesar. Later on, he's going to say, the irony is, is that if he didn't appeal to Caesar, I would have let him go, you know? But he appealed to Caesar. Paul understood that that was his destiny in, in this, was to get to Rome. And Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. Okay. And so now it's the next day. It's a big deal. There's an auditorium, pomp and circumstance. Agrippa and Bernice and Festus come, uh, and now they're going to hear, uh, you know, hear uh, this, uh, this whole thing. Okay, so now I, we, um, I guess I could read, yeah. So uh, in verse 24, it says in chapter 25, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all you gentlemen here present with us, you behold this man. It's also, it sounds like a circus, doesn't it? You know? You behold this man about whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me, both at Jerusalem and here loudly declaring that he ought not to be living anymore. But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death. And since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided uh, to send him. Yet I have nothing definite about him to write to my Lord. Therefore, I have brought him before you all and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation is taking place, I might have something to write, like to Caesar, you know? For it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him, all right? So, uh, I mean, this, everything is turned upside down here, right? Isn't that amazing? So Agrippa, now chapter 26. Now Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. Okay, So now, this is really his last main speech. And he's going to add some new things. He's going to tie up some loose ends. And there's really a lot uh, for us to uh, learn from this speech. In regard to which I am accused of by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I'm about to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions about the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. This was Agrippa's reputation. So then all the Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. 
since they have known about me for a long time previously, if they're willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strict sect of our religion, and now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O king, I am being accused uh, by Jews. Now, first, you want to notice he uses the word our a few different times, right? Uh, he says, um, 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 my own, well, he says, my own nation, right? He lived among his own, right? Okay. Uh, he says uh, he lived uh, as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. And now I, I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to uh, attain. So clearly, as he has said elsewhere, but accentuating it here, that I am on trial for the hope of Israel, for the, for, for the, the hope of the Jewish people. Now, if you jump down to verse 22, we'll, we'll get to the in-between. But in verse 22, he says, And so having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses was going to take place, that the Messiah was to suffer, and by that reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So he mentions Moses and the prophets, the hope uh, you know, uh, of, of our fathers. Uh, and then he says, of course, he, he clarifies it in verse 8, what is considered incredible among you people if God does not raise the dead? Okay, So the hope is this issue of the resurrection. Okay, as you see here, and as you see it then down in verse, again, 20, 23, including the dead, including uh, suffering. But he says that the Messiah was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim light. Okay, so uh, this is Paul's self-understanding. Now, how fortuitous that a few minutes ago, I, uh, when I was uh, uh, talking about uh, why we read 1 Corinthians, uh, uh, you know, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, uh, as the Brit Chadashah portion, right? That I, uh, the fact of the matter is, is the things that Paul is arguing was understood to be foolishness, certainly by those Romans, as, as Felix will exclaim in a little while, right? Or, I mean, Festus will exclaim in, in, a, in a little while. And also that to the uh, Jewish authorities, this guy is like apostate. He's like a heretic. Uh, and he's dangerous to our people, right? Uh, and so uh, it is only by the, the Ruach, really, you know, that, uh, that any of us can really uh, get to the place of really embracing the, the, the message of the Messiah, being convicted by, by the Ruach. Uh, you know, good apologetics is really helpful and good, but it is God who draws us, you know, indeed to himself, as Paul is going through. 
demonstrate uh, in, in a minute. Now, this issue of um, the resurrection. Now, we mentioned this already a couple of weeks ago, that it's in the liturgy. It's, it's a part of Jewish understanding. But I wanted to read something from the Talmud uh, itself. So I brought two, two versions of the same thing. I couldn't decide which one to read uh, in English. Uh, and so uh, in the tractate Sanhedrin, interestingly enough, right, I, in, uh, if you want to know where it is, in 90 A and B, which, by the way, A and B actually refers to two sides of the page, <laughs> okay? Uh, 90 A and B is all about resurrection, okay? Uh, and, uh, what's going to Okay. So uh, the beginning of it is the famous uh, statement, you know, all Israel has a share uh, in the world uh, to come. Then the question is, who doesn't have a share in the world to come? One who says that there is no reference to the resurrection of the dead in the Torah. Uh, that's exactly what it says here. Okay? Uh, or that the Torah is not from, uh, not from heaven. Uh, and then, then there's several pages that sort of talk about that. But then a few pages later, you have a statement uh, about uh, where in the Torah it talks about the resurrection of the dead. So then you have pages of that. Now, unlike the way we think, it's not passages that explicitly talk about the resurrection of the dead, but they talk about other things that become interpreted as talking about uh, the resurrection. For example, it was taught in a Beresa. A Beresa was, a, um, was an oral tradition that never got written down in the, uh, in the Mishnah. So it means another Beresa is a word that refers to oral traditions that did not get written down. <laughs> okay. But eventually, but eventually. Okay. So where do we find an allusion to the resurrection of the dead in the written Torah? For it is stated, I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. And then he says, but rather to them. Okay. Here we read an allusion to the resurrection of the dead. Them, the people who, uh, who will be living in the day of, of the resurrection, right? Uh, and, and so then he says, the sectarians. Now, in this uh, English version, you have the word sectarian. In other English versions, the word heretic is used. It's the word minim, which, which I uh, always refer to apostates, heretics, and, you know, and so on. Here it's sectarians. Now, I won't take the time. But in this particular uh, uh, English translation, there are notes. And it says in the notes, I'm just going to read this interesting note, okay, about minim, sectarians. Ordinarily refers to sectarian Jews who often challenged Rabban Gamliel to defend the traditional interpretation of Scripture. Indeed, it was in response to their attacks on traditional Judaism that Rabban Gamliel directed Shmuel HaKatan to compose the 19th benediction of the Shimona Esrei, which begins, may there be no hope for the minim. Okay, in other words, uh, he's saying that uh, the, the sectarian groups are the ones who are uh, uh, apostate. Uh, and so there is a, a benediction added to the, uh, to the, the Amidah, to the weekday uh, Amidah, which is, you know, may God never bless the minim, curse them forever kind of thing, right? So later on, not in the beginning, 
But later on, it became applied to Jewish Messiah followers. Later, later on, but not in its inception. Okay? But this is what it is. Here's the, here's the irony. Okay? Uh, in light of the Gemara's uh, words, it would seem that the reference is specifically to the sectarian Sadducees who denied the doctrine of the resurrection and also frequently disagreed with the rabbinic interpretation of Scripture. So what an irony that according to this understanding of who the Minim are, uh, that they're the people who deny the resurrection of the dead. Later on in history, the, the Minim become the Messiah followers who accentuate the resurrection of the dead. Right? But in the beginning, when it was actually coined, when the phrase was coined you know, to refer to apostates, it's referring to those who deny the resurrection of the dead. Okay? So here is, uh, you, you read in the, um, in the uh, uh, Talmud here. All right, so there's a section here that uh, the question is given to Gamliel. Now, Gamliel, Gamliel, the one who said that if this is really of God, it will last, and if it's not, you know, it, it won't, you know, who's, who's mentioned in the book of Acts? Okay, good. The source Rabban Gamliel cited from the, uh, uh, from the uh, Torah is this. And Hashem said to Moses, Behold, you will lie with your forefathers and rise. The, the, the Minim replied to Rabban Gamliel, But perhaps the verse means, And rise with this nation and go astray. Right? And then he goes on, then he's going to quote, then he's going to quote a passage from Isaiah. It says uh, here that, uh, then Rabban Gamaliel cited a passage from the prophets. May your dead live. My people's corpses shall rise. Awake and sing. Uh, you who dwell in the earth, for a dew of lights is your dew, and to the ground uh, you shall cast uh, the refrain. And then he talks about, but perhaps Isaiah refers to the dead whom the prophet Ezekiel uh, resurrected. And then it, then there's other, other passages as well. The point is, is that Paul is not saying anything other than, I mean, he's talking specifically about Yeshua. Let, let's be honest there, right? But the idea of resurrection is not something that he should be arrested for uh, believing, right? Now, the Sadducees who controlled uh, the affairs before the temple was destroyed, now they clearly would be someone, remember earlier, where Paul says, I'm on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead, and then the Pharisees and the Sadducees really get into it, right? It just gives you some more context for that. And, uh, and the Talmud, written years later, is a witness to the truth of this. You know, we're not making this up as we go along here. Uh, but it really, uh, you know, is, um, it really is the, uh, is the situation. So, so that's what he's saying. I'm on hope for, the, for the, the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. Now, somebody said to me earlier this morning, Al actually said, said to me earlier this morning, he was having a conversation with someone and they were talking about the, uh, the Christian hope as if it was, as if it was, um, uh, you know, as if it was uh, only something uh, derived uh, uh, from the time of Yeshua on. You know, as if to say there is no relationship uh, to the uh, Torah. And, and the sad reality is, is most people, most good Christian people, 
who know the Lord don't make that connection. You know, don't make that connection. Of course, usually it's to the extent of what you think about at this time of year. He was born in Bethlehem, right? Born of a virgin, prophesied in the book of Isaiah, born in Bethlehem, prophesied in the book of Micah, right? I, uh, and as someone a long time ago once said to me, he just happened to be born in Israel. So my response to that person was, you mean, was it like he was like flying in a plane and, and, and you know, they couldn't land, uh, you know, in, uh, they couldn't land in Rome, right? The only open airport was in Tel Aviv or something. So, that, you know, he just happened to be in Israel, you know? It's, it's a sad reality. Uh, uh, but clearly this is, and to us, it's like preaching to the choir, right? But I think even for us, even for us, the Jewish heritage essence of the faith is not just he was born in Bethlehem and he was Jewish, but the promise didn't change. You, you, you know, the promise did not change. And that Paul understands himself fully within the Jewish world not leaving the Jewish world. You know, like Paul did not used to be Jewish, okay? I, uh, uh, Paul was not uh, Jewish. Then he came to know the Lord and, you know, and, and then he founded the church or something. In our heads, it be, even the best of people, you know, don't always understand that what we believe is within, inside of the Jewish world, Okay? And that all people who come to faith do not need to ethnically be inside the Jewish world. Do not. Do not need to be ethnically inside the Jewish world. But need to understand that when they embrace Yeshua, he's the king of Israel. And not, like the song says, Israel. You know, which is like some make-believe thing or something. You know, Israel, meaning the kingdom of the Jews. Okay, of of the Jewish uh, uh, people. Uh, and, and so, very important. And that is why you read in the book of Ephesians about the commonwealth. Paul uses that terminology. So, like a political entity, you know, uh, the commonwealth of Israel. It doesn't mean that all believers, and Paul was quite clear on it, that does not need to live Jewishly. Uh, does not need to celebrate every Jewish holiday. Uh-oh. Right? Can. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, but needs to understand that the way of life of the Messiah follower, the ethics, the morality of all believers in Yeshua is living what we call a Torah way of life. That it is not something new. Yeshua did not come to teach a new morality, uh, a new ethic. He did not. When he says, you've heard that it has been said, but I say unto you, he's not saying well, you know, the Bible said this, the Torah said this, but now I'm going to tell you something else. He's saying, this is how you've been taught, but now I'm going to tell you what it really means. He is, he is making a statement about the authority of the Torah. That's why he says at the beginning of those, of that section where he says, you've heard his said, but I say to you, that's where he says, I did not come to destroy the Torah. It makes sense, you see. He means he's because he he understands that's what's going to that's what's going to happen. I I know that you know I know the human heart, right? Uh, and so very very important. And Paul 
Paul understands this well. That's why it's important to read these passages where Paul gives his self-understanding in order to read Galatians and in order to read Ephesians and in order to read Colossians because we get the idea that he's preaching some kind of anti-Jewish message or anti-Torah message. He is not. He's basically telling Gentile Messiah followers that you need to, you, that the testimony is the, the, uh, the unity of peoples. That you remain the way you are, Jews remain they are, and the unity is that, is that we're one in Messiah with our ethnic differences and identities. That is really important, okay? Uh, and, uh, and so, I, so we see where he's coming from, right? We see where he's coming from. And then he makes this statement about, uh, you know, being raised from the dead. So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Yeshua uh, uh, of Nazareth. Now he's going to explain his testimony. Beginning now, he's saying, so this is who I am. I'm coming preaching the hope uh, of the resurrection, the hope of our fathers, Right? It's what it all hinges on this resurrection, right? Uh, but I myself was in the dark. It's basically what he's. But I myself was in the dark. I did not have eyes to see. So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Yeshua of Nazareth, and this is just what I did in Jerusalem. And not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death. I cast my vote with them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. See, it's always great when a real uh, zealous person comes to faith, that a person who's really zealous in many other things comes to faith. Because then it's like, okay, the trajectory has been like going this way. But now the trajectory is here. So you ready? Boom! Go! You know, some of the greatest, uh, you know, some of the greatest uh, heroes of the faith uh, in Yeshua were people who were living quite nefarious lives uh, beforehand. Okay? All right. So we're going to talk about that also. Then he says, While thus engaged as I was journeying to Damascus, with authority to commission the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around me and those who were journeying after me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Yeshua, whom you're persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet for this purpose. I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people, from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins 
and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Okay, that's, you know, Paul is good on those really long few sentences there. Okay, so what's interesting is, is that there's a few things, there's a few new a few new historical points that he makes about his testimony that we did not know before, okay? First, uh, interestingly, when he saw the light, it says here, everybody fell to the ground. Everybody fell to the ground. That's very important. That means that it it was an external event. He understood it, and he saw Yeshua, and he communicated with Yeshua, but it was an external historical event. They all fell to the ground. It wasn't just, what's he doing, you know? Okay, so that's one. Then uh, there's something that Yeshua says to him that we never heard before. Is it hard for you to kick against the goats? Basically, what Yeshua is saying, there's a new thing happening and you're fighting it. You are fighting this work of God, Saul. You know, I would say, you know, you're a zealous man. You're a zealous Pharisee. I'm doing something and you're fighting against it. Now, a goad was one of those things like that a shepherd might have or, you know, to keep the sheep in line, you know. So it's like uh, uh, what Yeshua is saying to him, I'm, I'm doing this to you and you're fighting against it. You're, you're trying to go off course, you know. You're, you're, you're going the opposite way of what I'm doing. And then he's, you know, and then, of course, he says, who are you? I'm Yeshua. And then interestingly, what he doesn't say is, is, I was blind and then they led me to Damascus and I went to this guy's house named Ananias. He just cuts to the chase. He kind of telescopes the whole thing here. You know, that Yeshua told me, to, you know, what my commission was. I, so he just cuts to the chase, right, in, in, this, in this speech. He doesn't talk about being blind. He doesn't talk about Ananias. He just cuts to the chase because this, you know, this is what I'm on trial for. And I'm fulfilling my calling, you know, that, uh, that God has given me. Now, but what he says is really very important. Uh, so he's quoting Yeshua. He's not saying, very interesting, he's not saying, this is what Yeshua told, this is my interpretation of what my calling is, Agrippa. I'm telling you what Yeshua told me, my calling. So Yeshua says, arise. Stand on your feet for this purpose. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a minister and a witness, not only of the things you've seen, but also the things which will appear to you. Now, when he says delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, he basically means like what God said to Jeremiah in the first chapter of Jeremiah. I'm delivering you so you can live to tell the message. Okay, I'm delivering you from from person. I've been doing it. Your whole time, you know, I, uh, and, uh, so he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm calling you, I'm delivering you, you're going to live, and you're going to tell this message. Okay? Well, only live to a certain time, evidently. But. And then he says what it is. So he says, I'm sending you to, very importantly, to uh, the Jewish people and the Gentiles, you know, to whom I'm sending you, right? Okay. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been uh, sanctified uh, by faith uh, in me. Okay, so you can, like, maybe you might be thinking, you know, there are passages 
Uh, in the, uh, there are passages uh, in the Tanakh, you know, that, uh, that's, I mean, uh, in the letters of Paul, that sound kind of like this, you know? Uh, and uh, so, for example, uh, you have, uh, well, like Ephesians, or no, let's turn to Colossians for the sake of time. We won't look at it. But in uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, okay, uh, in verse 12 and then 13. Verse 12 is the end of a sentence, but that's okay. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He talks about light. He talks about being transferred from the domain of, of darkness uh, to the kingdom of his beloved son, the forgiveness of sins, uh, you know, uh, redemption, uh, redemption as uh, redemption as well. Uh, and of course, uh, in Ephesians uh, uh, chapter five, you have uh, there, uh, you know, in verse eight, you were formerly in darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of, of light. You know, it helps us, I think, to understand from Acts, this is what Yeshua told him. And, and so he speaks, uh, you know, he speaks much of, of this. All right. So now I uh, just getting back to, uh, to uh, what, what he says here in chapter 26. You know, light... Uh, there's many passages that, that talk about light. Yeshua said, I'm the light of the world, right? I'm the light of the world. You read about, you read about light and darkness in the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. You read about light and darkness in lots of places in that intertestamental literature, in, you know, that Jewish, liter that Jewish literature written in Greek in between, the, in between the Testaments. There's a lot written about light you know, and, uh, uh, and darkness. Uh, and so uh, it's just kind of, um, you know, uh, kind of interesting uh, that uh, he says it here. Okay, so uh, moving right along. All right, so then he says uh, uh, here, consequently, King Agrippa, oh, I want to say something about Paul's testimony. You know, it's really kind of interesting when Paul shares his testimony that he doesn't, he was pretty bad. I mean, I have to say, uh, I don't think I ever have met anybody who, or even heard of anybody, uh, who was a strong believer in the Lord, but prior to coming to know the Lord, were, well, maybe now that I think about it, maybe I might have met, that, uh, that were like really persecuting believers, you know, or, you know, you know that kind of thing, right? Uh, now, I do know people that were... Uh, you know, very strong Muslims and came to faith. I know people uh, uh, that were um, Palestinian terrorists who came to faith. Uh, you, you know, only a work of God can do it. But so in Paul's uh, uh, situation, one of the things to always remember is he does not, he does not focus and accentuate how bad he was. He does not dwell on how bad he was. You know, remember in, uh, in um, Romans chapter, uh, the end of chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 8, he's talking about himself, and he says this, 
Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will set me free for the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. When he says that, he's using his own life as the illustration of that, right? And I think that's really very important for all of us to remember that regardless of, you know, of uh, what kind of life you may have lived when you embrace Yeshua, there is no condemnation. Uh, And his focus is totally on the Messiah. And he has now experienced this great forgiveness. Now, of course, for many of us, I know, that we might be sitting here saying, that's not really my problem. My problem is, is uh, I've been pretty bad as a believer sometimes, right? Well, remember that, you know, when you confess your sins, uh, Yeshua, you know, he is our high priest. He is your high priest. He is alive uh, and he intercedes for us. Uh, and uh, you cannot out the grace of God, Okay. So that also is, you know, very important. But I think it's just important that when you read about how bad he was, it's amazing that it didn't keep him from being able to serve wholeheartedly with a clear conscience. You know, uh, his conscience uh, was uh, was cleansed. All right. So um, so very good. So we see he tells uh, Agrippa, this is what what the Messiah has told me to do. So he says, Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring to both those in Damascus first, there he mentions being in Damascus, to those in Damascus first and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. So we got a lot of information about what Paul's message uh, was. One is uh, that they should uh, turn to from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan, you know, to, to God, receive forgiveness and obtain an inheritance. And if we had time, you can read the first chapter of Ephesians and you can read about the inheritance. The inheritance is new life and Messiah, basically, and all that goes and all that goes with that. Right. And so he's saying, this is what I preached. And then he sort of gives a, a shorthanded version of, of saying uh, that they should repent, turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. So that's also very interesting uh, that, uh, you know, repent and live uh, a life in accordance with the calling. Like we read in, uh, you know, in uh, Ephesians again, uh, uh, and this is kind of interesting and, you know, Ephesians 1 through 3 is he's explaining to these Gentiles that you're part of the Jewish message, okay? And then in chapter 4, he says, I therefore the prisoner of Lord entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to love one another and, and uh, for, um, showing forbearance to one another in love. And then he goes on. I will suggest chapter 4, 5, and 6, he's teaching them a Torah way of life. This is the ethic and the morality 
of, uh, of how you live when you are related to the God of Israel. Okay? Uh, and, uh, and so that, uh, you know, that indeed uh, was his message. Interesting, it's not just shoot from the hip and as, God, as, the, as the Spirit leads you, do whatever you want to do. Okay? That is not uh, what he says uh, here. Okay? Uh, they should repent, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? What he's saying is it all comes down to Yeshua. It's not about the temple. It's not about anything else other than if Yeshua is the Messiah, then, you know, I'm, I'm right. If he, if, you know, uh, and that's what I'm proclaiming. If he's not the Messiah, then I'm all wrong. But it's all about Yeshua. It's not about how Jewish, how traditional, this and that. It all comes down to Yeshua. Okay. And so having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying to both small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place that the Messiah was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim light to both the Jewish people and also the Gentiles. Okay, so his focus, when if you read this in one thing, he's, he's saying here, he mentions that God called him, that Yeshua called him to bring this message to Jews and Gentiles. And so... I'm fulfilling my calling of bringing this message to Jews and Gentiles, like Moses and the prophets spoke. And, you know, it reminds us of those suffering, of those servant passages. You know, in, in particular, I, uh, I'll just read one little tiny part, and that is in chapter 49 uh, of, uh, of Isaiah, I, when I, he says this in verse 5, and now the Lord, and now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him in order that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of God and the Lord is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a what? A light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's part of four passages called the Servant Songs of Isaiah, which include Isaiah 53, where he describes how this, you know, how this takes place. Uh, and so Paul clearly is uh, uh, demonstrating, uh, you know, that this message is commensurate with the hope of Moses uh, and, the, uh, and, and the prophets, okay? And uh, that is indeed our message, and that is indeed our hope, our messianic hope. This is what we need to be communicating to our people and to the world. This hope. It's not about be optimistic about the world or be pessimistic about the world, which is probably more uh, a reality. But hey, there's a living hope, you know, and, and God has entered into this world in the person of, of Yeshua, and he died and rose from the dead. And it is in him that we have life. And how is that life demonstrated? By the way we conduct ourselves. By the way we conduct ourselves. People are not going to believe a theological axiom 
Okay? You know, the, the four spiritual laws, and of course for Jews we get five. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so, you know, the spiritual laws. This is it. Here's this verse. Here's that verse. I'm telling you the most powerful thing that you can share is your testimony. It is the most powerful thing that Paul shared was who he was before, what he had this encounter with Yeshua, and this is who he is now. That is the proof that Yeshua is alive. The power of God dwelling within you. Do not think that, well, you know, at work I'm kind of like this and I'm kind of like this and I'm trying to share the message. You know, but if your life doesn't measure up to the message, as they say in the old country, forget about it. Okay? I, because the message is our life, the embodiment of Yeshua in our life, and then we need to be able to explain it. Explain it from the scriptures. Explain it from what God has done uh, in and for us. Okay. Uh, and so then he says here, and while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. You know? Uh, and that is the Roman response. You're out of your mind. That is not a grip. This is not how Agrippa is going to respond. But this is how Festus responds. This is craziness, you know? Uh, and uh, uh, one of the things we learn from that is no matter how you might share your testimony and no matter how filled with the Ruach, how filled with the Spirit you may be and how perfect you may share and how silver-tongued you are, what a great orator you are and how many scriptures you can point to and how prayed up you are, people are going to reject the message and think you're out of your mind, Okay. Don't view that as, well, I must be out of my mind, you know, or I must have done something wrong. Don't let other people define you, okay? I mean, you know, constructive criticism is always helpful, but don't let people define you. People are going to reject the message, okay? All right. So, uh, but Paul said, I am not out of my mind. Isn't that great? See, he doesn't cower away. Oh, no, what did I do? You know, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. That's confidence. That's not being pompous. That's not being, uh, that is not being uh, obnoxious. That's being confident in the Lord. Okay. But the king knows, uh, for the king knows about these matters. And I speak to him also with confidence. Oh, there it's at. There he is. Since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. This is great. So he puts Agrippa on the spot, okay? Because his real desire is not to defend himself, but to share the message. He, this is every time he speaks, this is a platform, you know? It's not about me. Uh, and so... Uh, he says, uh, I, and then he says, you believe the prophets, I know that you do. Now Agrippa is like, <laughs> you know, and so look what he says. He says, Paul, uh, uh, or Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me, and he uses this interesting word, to become a Christian, okay, uh, uh, which evidently was known by this time, you know, not just in Antioch, uh, but it was known. Uh, now, uh, I would suggest that he's not, he's saying that kind of like uh, sarcastically, tongue in cheek, 
you know, you'll persuade me, Paul. In other words, whoa, you know, I hear what you're saying. But like many Jewish people, I hear what you're saying, but, you know. Then Paul said, I would to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. In other words, I want you to believe. I want you to know the Lord. He's not covering himself. He's not trying to give a defense to save his life. He says, he's saying this is an opportunity. And that is why he wants to go to Rome all the way to Caesar. And by the way, you know who Caesar was at this time? Nero. Okay. Uh, and the king arose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, and they have a little huddle, right? When they had drawn aside, they began talking to one another, saying, this man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. You, you know? Uh, and now is going to be the trip to Rome. The trip to Rome. And basically, chapter 27 is a travel log. Uh, and chapter 28 is about Paul's last days. Uh, at least the last days that we know of. Uh, but this is his last speech. And he gives this great message of Yeshua. And rather than defending himself, he, he very clearly states who he is, what the message is, where the message comes from, who it applies to, and what it means. So may we learn from him, uh, you know, and have that kind of confidence and, and also that kind of focus on the message uh, of the uh, Messiah. Uh, let's pray. Lord, uh, God, um, uh, thank you, God, for these great words of Paul, Lord. Uh, we can relate as Messiah followers, as a Messianic uh, uh, congregation, uh, Lord, we can relate uh, very much to it, uh, Lord. God, we thank you that uh, you have called us, a Jew and Gentile alike, in this particular community to dwell within Jewish space, to dwell within a Jewish ethnic uh, a place and to demonstrate, whether we're Jewish or Gentile, uh, uh, to demonstrate uh, the Jewishness of Yeshua. Uh, uh, and uh, God, we pray that we would indeed be that light to Israel and to the nations. Lord, to the nations, may we demonstrate and testify of the Jewish Yeshua and to uh, Israel and to the Jewish community, the Jewish uh, Yeshua. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to this place at this time for this purpose, uh, Lord. And we pray for all of our brothers and sisters out there in all varieties of churches and congregations and ethnic identities. Lord, we pray, uh, God, that you would help them to understand that their relationship to Israel, being grafted in, uh, middle wall of partition uh, uh, coming down, uh, being joined to the commonwealth of Israel, uh, yet remaining, you know, who, who we are as people. And so, uh, God, uh, we thank you, God, uh, for this great reminder of these great things. In the size of